You're listening to Sascapes, a podcast featuring the stories of arts, culture, and heritage in Saskatchewan. Welcome to the Happy Nun Cafe in Forche, Saskatchewan, and welcome to the first live Sascape Story Slam. Now, do yourself a favor. Go to the happynuncafe.com website, browse the menu, and then go immediately to one of Saskatchewan's best restaurants and my new favorite destination, Katie Vinge carried on the tradition of the cafe from its original owners and has infused it with her own energy and culinary talents. What a great night of amazing food and an unforgettable story slam experience with some very moving stories from participants. Joan, a teacher, reads a poem from her favorite Canadian poet. Jillian reads the touching eulogy of a much-loved grandfather. Shannon shares two stories, one about a friend who held a secret for years, and the other about growing up in a small town, feeling different, and finding a passion for theater. Kiera talks about finding her biological father, and Lynn discusses her life from the royal to the rural. Benita discovers the healing power of laughter in her fight against M.S., and my friend and colleague Damon Badger Height talks about a friend going through a rough time, the joys of fatherhood, and the not so joyous experience on the way to the Happy Nun Cafe. Sorry about that, Damon. Joel talks about the sea otter and the engagement, and yes, even I, Kevin Power, toss in a story. Joel summed up the entire evening when he said, Every time I come here, I taste the food, but I also taste the love and the warmth and the enjoyment. We're so lucky to have a place like the Happy Nun Cafe to come to. Joel, I couldn't agree more. You'll never forget Forget. So my name is Joan, and when Kevin was talking, I have a favorite poet. Her name is Sherry Fitch, and she's a Canadian poet from Nova Scotia. And she wrote a poem on her blog called The First Day of School. And I'm a teacher. I've been in education for a long time. And when Kevin was talking about his grade one teacher, it made me think of this poem. And it's called First Day of School, and it goes like this. Here, take my child. He has a fistful of crayons, is ready to begin, to enter the halls that smell of chalk dust and lemon oil. He wants to color a picture. Help him to see that the color he chooses, the picture he makes, are beautiful. Before you ask him to paint the Sistine Chapel... Here, take my child. She knows one and one makes two. I want her to learn to add without being subtracted from. 
I want her to multiply her abilities, but not if it divides her against herself. Here, take my child. He has a book he wants to read. Let him read it first. Tell you why he likes it before you ask him to read a book you think he should read to be, to be up to the level. Here, take my child. She has written a poem. Dandelions are golden buttons in the grass. Smell those dandelions. See the image before you tell her dandelions are weeds or dandelions is not spelled correctly. Here, take my child, but take care. Hello, my name's Kiara, and uh, I'm here for my birthday. Thank you. I am nervous, but I'm sure that'll go away. Um, I'm going to tell you all how I found my biological father, because I think it's a cool story. Right? Okay. I was born in Germany on Hahn Air Force Base. My mother was in the military, and she was just finishing her four-year contract, I think, is what they're contracted for. And she met Peter, and they had a fling for a few months, I guess, but they didn't really get to know each other that well. He was a few years younger than her, and she was interested in him because he was artistic and different than anyone she'd ever met. Um, They ended up sleeping together. I came in the picture. Mom mom didn't feel that she wanted to be with Peter. These are all stories I'm telling you based on what I've heard. I don't really know. But she says he just wasn't the man for her at the time. And she was really independent, so she wanted to do it by herself. And this was long before the time of cell phones and the Internet. So... um, Once she left, after I was born, they never saw each other again. And mom ended up, she was from North Carolina, she ended up moving to Minot, North Dakota, and going to school, and her mom moved down to help raise me. And my father, who raised me, Ed McMillan, that's my dad, he he was playing hockey in Minot, and they met and fell in love, and... She moved up to Canada, and he adopted me by the time I was two. So I'm thinking around age 10, 11, 12, I started asking, because mom was always very um, upfront about um, Ed not being my real father, but I made the decision that he was my father. And uh, she told me what she knew, which was a name, and that she thought he was from New York originally, but wasn't sure. So I started looking. I think once Facebook came out, I would have been in grade 12. I I looked on Facebook and messaged a few people with that name and uh, asked, like, were you ever in the U.S. military during these times? And 
I either got a response saying no or um, nothing. So that, in my mind, could have meant that any one of them could have been him and he didn't want to be found. And it just might not be in the books for me to find him. But um, when, actually, I went to college and I'd meet new people in my life and they'd all be like, why don't you look for this guy? Like, that's a cool story. You should find him. And, I'm, and it'd re-spark me and I'd think, yeah, like, I will. I, I, I will go look for him again. And it just would never work out and I'd forget about it and push it away. But it was Chelsea's wedding. They were gone to the Dominican. Chelsea had a... Uh, destination wedding and I couldn't afford it at the time and it broke my heart like I was the saddest I'd been that year like so devastated and that sadness brought me to looking for something obviously so I I, I started looking for the Peter again and I, I found him you guys I went on LinkedIn it's a business profiling system and I found this this guy with this picture and I thought Maybe it could, I don't know. And uh, there was a number, so I called it, and I, the first thing I said, I was so nervous. I had a glass of wine before I did it, and it was like 1 o'clock in the afternoon. And uh, uh, he answered, and I just said, were you in the U.S. military during these times, based in Germany? And he said, yes. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm your daughter. <laughs> and it was just like... It was euphoric, honestly. Um, we talked for about 20 minutes, of, like word vomit. And like my first thing, as weird as it might be, I was like, oh my God, do I have a sister? Because I've got two brothers, but I do, I have a sister. And, uh, Peter came just this summer, and we met for the first time. I picked him up at Minot Airport, and I look a lot like him. And he's a super cool, super chill guy, and I'm just so grateful. And I'm so grateful for these people, and thank you for letting me talk. I can't believe I cried. (laughs) Okay, so uh, I'm going to read something. My dad and my grandfather were both amazing, amazing writers, and it was around this time six years ago that I lost my grandfather, who we call Papa, and my dad wrote his eulogy, and he used my Papa's uh, letters and stories to write the eulogy, so it was kind of his own words, and um, the ladies at the United Church in Weyburn said it was the best eulogy they've heard in forever, so (laughs) Um, I thought I should read it. Okay. God has certainly given us a wonderful fall prairie morning to celebrate the life of Glenn Vinge. Welcome, everyone, to our celebration of our father and friend Glenn Vinge, or Papa, as he was so affectionately called. I was asked by our family to say a few words about Papa. I offer the following words in the hope that they will help us all celebrate this wonderful man's life and in some small way capture the essence of Glenn Vinge. I think the best way to do this is to use his words. These words were written over the years in a series of Christmas letters to his friends and family. Who better than Papa to tell us about what was important to him and what he believed? The following are some passages that I have selected from his various Christmas letters. These letters express his feelings about his family, his friends, and his community. Papa on friendships, the coffee crowd, or as I call them, the Weyburn Senators. 
The fellows with whom I coffee each day are all about my age and are in the same state of physical and medical disrepair. Years ago, our conversation centered around such topics as gas mileage, mechanical problems of our respective cars, car performance, and what a deal you had on your last car purchase. They lie a lot. Now we discuss things like uh, medical, like who has the best deal on medical outside of country, uh, health insurance, or a blow-by-blow description of someone's gallbladder operation, or the importance of early diagnosis of that only male malady, what medications you are taking, and the date of your next appointment with the specialist. We all have become experts by saturation, and our coffee session now runs an hour. Papa on humor. My family's Scandinavian, so a little bit dry. <laughs> the Christmas lights. Our artificial tree stands replendent in our living room. Lights all aglow. Lest you think this happened without incident, let me enlighten you. How many of you have purchased strings of lights which plainly stayed on the box? If a bulb should burn out, the remainder of the lights will remain a light. Not so. The manufacturers of these lights are barefaced liars. There should be a class action suit regarding such misrepresentation. The frustrations place domestic serenity in serious jeopardy. Conclusion. If you are faced with the dilemma of a burned out bulb, throw the string away. Buy a new string and save yourself the aggravation. A lesson learned after a near disastrous consequence. The Christmas tree. Last Saturday was the big day the tree lot opened. After coming to terms with my apprehension, I entered the tree lot, left alone in the midst of several hundred trees. The choice was mine. I felt a bit like this. A man stands alone in the woods, and he says something, and there are no women around. Is he still wrong? To avoid any such possibility, we consulted on the choice of a tree. Viv made the choice, and I agreed with her. Now comes the hard part, decorating. I conveniently find an excuse which will remove me from the house. Story, the marriage license. I've heard this story like 19 times. (laughs) The second story that sticks out in my mind involved Glenn's father, whom I believe was a notary public or was otherwise empowered to issue marriage licenses in Torquay. One day, an older gentleman came into the elder Mr. Vinji's office and announced that he was getting married and wished to purchase a marriage license. Mr. Vinji entered the names of the man and his bride-to-be on the marriage license and collected a $2 fee. Several days later, the old man returned to Mr. Vinji's office and said that he'd found a different woman to marry and asked if her name could be substituted on the marriage license for that of the original woman. Glenn's father said, No, I can't change the name of the bride. You'll have to buy a new license and pay the fee again. To this, the old guy replied, Ah, forget it then. There ain't $2 difference between the two of them. (laughs) Papa on faith. Uh, Salem Church, Lutheran Church south of Torquay. Subsequent to our winter visit, we made another trip to Salem Church in July of this year. We were invited back to participate in the rebirth of a church that had deteriorated severely due to neglect and the ravages of time. Two community men, Gordon Kamenin and Ole Tenold, sons of pioneer parishioners, took on the monumental task of restoring the grace and beauty of this landmark church. These two men, obviously imbued with the spirit of their forefathers, along with a community who were likewise possessed, transformed this house of the Lord and gave it back to back the respect and dignity it deserved. During the dedication ceremony, I listened to the choir, accompanied by an ancient pump organ, in a church whose interior would closely resemble the interior some 85 years ago. 
My imagination sent me clear visions. I was looking at my grandfather, Axel Vinge, conducting the choir. I was looking at the altar, a thing of beauty, crafted with rudimentary tools by men with inherent abilities. I saw mother and dad standing together on the step of the church at their wedding ceremony in 1916. On and on, these visions appeared. Nostalgia is a wondrous and blessed occurrence. We thank Ole and Gordon for providing the infectious spirit which gave the impetus to bring this dream to completion. Papa on family. Thinking back, Helma, Glenn's mother. Twelve or so years ago, on Christmas Eve day, Tim, which is my dad, and I journeyed to Bean Fates, Saskatchewan, where our mother was a guest at a nursing home. We took along a two-foot artificial Christmas tree covered with mini lights, thinking that it might be appropriate for her room. We entered our mother's room and found her sitting in the bed, a throw around her shoulders and an afghan over the covers. She smiled and took our hands and held them for brief moments. During the discussion and small talk, we plugged in this artificial tree, setting the many small lights aglow. In the duskiness of the modest room, the tiny lights made the shapes and shadows and caused a many-colored reflection in her wide open eyes. This was the Rockefeller Center to her. She stared at the tree, and you could see her thoughts going back in time when she celebrated Christmas in more familiar surroundings. We hesitated to end our visit, just as we did with Aunt Viola two years ago. We knew it would be, and it was, an emotional parting. As we thought about our mother alone on Christmas Eve, as we left, she bid us goodbye without any show of emotion, just a smile and a happy expression. Little did we know this strong woman was in command of her destiny. She was at peace. She was in perfect harmony with her maker. The trip home in the now darkened Christmas evening started with little conversation until our emotions were in check. As we reflected on the events of the day, our sorrow turned to joy, knowing our mother was in the company of her memories and we were going home to celebrate Christmas with our family and friends. Papa on the dogs. We are dog people. (laughs) Uh, When a dog becomes more intelligent than the master, it becomes frightening. Such is the case with Norway, John and Deb's dog. Academically, I'm sure he would qualify for a PhD from any canine college. He is a great friend of Grandma Viv and is known to put a bite on her, bad joke, for a delicious bit of steak or roast. Papa on the grandchildren. Our grandchildren continue to be our top priority. We enjoyed the summer months at the lake where all our children were present. They are dear, sweet children most of the time. Jillian still eats more off the floor than she does her own plate. Ooh. Katie, which is the chef, has taken to calling Viv Baba, and we're not Ukrainian. I don't know why we started calling her Baba, but she's Baba to this day. <laughs> she now carries on an intelligent conversation over the phone, a change from when, we were, when all we got was heavy breathing in answer to all our question. Sarah, John's daughter, this gal has a bit of a devil in her who talks without interrupting. She had a very frustrating time recently when laryngitis caused her to lose her voice. She didn't stop talking, you just couldn't hear her. A veritable pixie. Kelly is John's oldest young lady. She's the epitome of politeness and manners. She's a keen student, and we're certain she will fit into some niche of greatness. Personal thoughts. His health. My year has been segmented between medical appointments with various orthopedic surgeons around the country. 
After my best efforts, MRI, x-rays, and several consultations, it was confirmed. You can't make a silk purse out of a sow's ear. The extent of the damage in my right shoulder preempts an attempt at shoulder reconstruction. So be it as it may, painful, inconvenient, but not life-threatening. The upside is I no longer have to fabricate reasons for my lousy golf scores like some of my golf buddies. (laughs) Papa on living on the prairies. Viv and I were sitting in our family room the other evening observing a sunset, the likes of which we have never seen before. The southwest sky was ablaze with a montage of every conceivable hue and color, arranged in no particular pattern. It was as if a giant Tiffany screen descended out of the heavens and said to us, please observe, this was one of the reasons you chose to live and make your home on the prairies. We were in perfect agreement. As we kept watching, the blazing hues reluctantly dimmed and finally gave way to the glowing coals of sunset, then on to dusk. Closing remarks. To close, I have selected a few passages from a sermon preached by Ross D. McMurtry at the Grace United Church on May 31st, 1970. The sermon was called Death, Life's Last Ventures. Ross discusses death in several passages from his sermon. This being so, then, we have no reason to look upon it as a cruel fiend bent on discretion. It can be, and in many cases, is a merciful thing, releasing one's spirit from a tired, broken, diseased body. That, as Khalil Gabriel once said, might rise and seek God unencumbered. Um, My dad's final comments. As an ecologist, I tend to explain how complicated ecological systems function. There is function and pattern everywhere we look. I would like to finish with a bit of an analogy to nature. Forest fires are often viewed as the end to the life of a productive forest. When a forest gets old and stops growing, trees decay and fall over. Many of the ecological processes slow down. Then along comes a forest fire, consuming everything in its path. We now know that the fire is part of the forest life cycle. It renews the forest and allows the cycle of life to occur once again. I've noticed that when the trees are injured and dying, they will put all of their energy into producing one last seed crop. These seeds represent the start of the next forest. I would like to suggest that Father is like the old tree. The seeds that he has left behind upon his passing represent renewal for each and every one of us. I ask you to tend these seeds in honor of my Father and grow in them, now and in the future, for this is the time like the forest for renewal. In closing, a few words from Papa. Father's final Christmas thoughts from one of his Christmas letters. My Christmas china mug, reserved for December, stands stands empty and awaits a refill of freshly brewed coffee. This mug, once our mother's, evokes a flood of nostalgia, thoughts and remembrances which are in harmony with all things happy and beautiful. They flash upon the inward eye, which is the bliss of solitude. I hasten to add, you, as well as family and friends, departed, fill the pages in this album of A Christmas Past and Present. Thank you. My story is about a friend of mine. It's about growing up in a small town, like Kevin said about being different. Um, My friend, my best friend, was the type of person who was smart in school. Every girl wanted to date him. He was a really good athlete, uh, very popular amongst everyone. But um, he 
he had this secret that he had to keep to himself because he was afraid of what people would think. Um, he was gay. So growing up in small town Saskatchewan, that was almost almost taboo because he was afraid of what people would think and what what they would do and how it would have, if people found out that he was gay, how it would affect his friends like myself and other people. So for first 25 years, the first 30 years of his life, he carried this secret deep down inside that he didn't want anyone to find out. Um, a few things had surfaced. Um, he had taken figure skating. He was a really good figure skater, but Again, the negative comments about being gay and being a fag and all this stuff stopped him from pursuing his dream, and he really wanted to do it. And he always told me later on in life that, you know, I would have made a damn good figure skater, but I just couldn't take the uh, negativity about it. And he would do things to find out about himself. He would go away to cities and try and meet different people that were like him, and he finally ended up going halfway across the world to Australia for six months to, to see if what he felt inside was really the way he was. And he came back, and it was. But he still didn't tell anybody. He was still worried about what negativity would be. Um, so he ended up moving off to uh, Calgary, where he started his other own life, uh, separate from what we thought. And he would even go to the point of telling people, well, if anyone asks him, well, do you have a, are you, have a girlfriend? Are you married or whatever? He said, yes, I have a girlfriend. Her name is Brenda, and she runs an ice cream shop. And this story went on for probably four or five years, and, and we, we often joke about it now, like, where's Brenda and all this stuff. But anyways, about two years ago, he uh, finally decided that he had enough, and his story needed to be told. And he uh, had an article in one of the in the Calgary Herald about being gay and being an uh, trying to be an athlete and growing up in small town Saskatchewan and what effect it had on his life. And he was really worried about what his mom and dad would think about his lifestyle. And they have since passed away. But his mom once told me that she knew what he was like, and it didn't make a difference to her. And another thing he was worried about is what people in his hometown would would feel about him if they found out that he was gay. But as it turned out, that uh, people didn't care. They still loved him for who he was, and that was great. So, you know, sure, being different is bad, but, you know, it's not as bad because if you have friends, then you have the world. Thank you. girls better be happy. <laughs> my name is Benita. Um, in 2007, I found myself laying in a bed in a hospital room, waiting for the doctor to come in to tell me what was going on. Um, I had been in and out of the hospital for seven months, and the doctor came in and told me finally that it was MS. At that time, my Feet weren't working. I couldn't even wiggle my toes. They're completely paralyzed. Um, I was in a wheelchair. 
And I was 22 years old, so things just weren't going well for me. After being told I had MS, I was very sad, of course. And then I went through a stage where I was very angry. And then I decided that none of those things were working, so I was going to get past it. And I changed a lot of things in my lifestyle and started going to the holistic way. And one of the things that has helped me become healthy again was called laughter yoga. And I'm not sure if anybody else has partaken in it, other than my splurge girls (laughs) or not. But I became a laughter therapist. So rather than making you cry tonight, I'm going to make you all laugh. So if you would like to partake, that's fantastic. And if not, that's fine. Just enjoy your meal. So I'm just going to share a little exercise that we do. And what you do is you spread your fingers as far apart as you can. And we're going to clap. And you've got to try to hit every little reflex point on your hands because this stimulates all these great things in our bodies that make us feel good. And it goes like this. Ho, ho, ha, ha, ha. So we're all going to do that together and repeat it three times. All right? Hey, it's Kevin. I hope you're enjoying the episode so far. Just a quick reminder that the Sascapes podcast is available for free on your favorite podcast app, or you can stream it from your browser. Check out the show notes for the link. On the Sascapes homepage, you'll notice something new under the logo called Sascapes Plus. You can't miss it. There's a big button saying support with a heart icon next to it. I'd love it if you could click on that button and help keep this podcast series going. When Sascapes launched in May 2014, it was the first podcast in the province celebrating arts, culture, and heritage. In fact, you'd have been pretty hard-pressed to find any Saskatchewan podcast. So I'd like to think that we paved the way. It's been because of your support that this podcast is now in its ninth year. Okay, that's it. Enjoy the rest of the episode. exercise, you always pretend to be a kid and you go, yay! Okay, fantastic. So the first little exercise that we're going to do, and probably the only one, because I'm going to go back and enjoy my sangria, is we're going to make milkshakes together. So I would, everyone can stay seated or you can stand up. I'm going to stand up. I'm used to standing when we do these things. So what you're going to do is you're going to put out your left or your right arm, and we're going to fill it with whatever... How about that carrot cake? Anybody else? Sangria! Angry Orchard. Yeah. Anybody else? Why not? One more. Okay. Fantastic. Next, we're going to shake it up. So. So the next part is the tricky part. You have to tip it back and you just have to laugh. It doesn't have to be real, it doesn't have to be fake. However it comes out, your body doesn't know the difference. So that's what's fantastic about it. So let's tip it back and laugh. <laughs> Very good. And in between every exercise we always go, ho, ho, ha, 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 ho, ho, ha, 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 ho, ho, ha, ha, ha. Yay! Thank you. 
I'm so happy there's no video. Um, I never thought I would be doing this tonight. I just thought I'd sit safely at my table. I'm Lynn. I work at the paper down the road. And Kevin is just such a nice guy. He's shamed me into this. And so I'm kind of white-knuckling it up here. But um, I actually grew up in Carlisle. And like Kevin, family reasons brought me back here. And um, after about 30 years in Calgary, in about two weeks, I just packed up my life and came back. And one of my jobs in Calgary was I freelance. And I now say I kind of do the rural and the royal because I work for Majesty Magazine in the UK covering the royals when they come to Canada. And I, I don't know if you guys have seen that, but I also do some stuff for Hello Magazine when they come to town. And um, weirdly, this, this kind of, these two things have intersected. And with the royal thing, it's always been strangely intertwined with Saskatchewan. And it started out, um, I have this vague memory as an 11-year-old in grade 5, um, seeing the Queen and Prince Philip going down the street in Regina in a carriage. And I had no idea at the time that that would sort of be part of my working future. But I just scribbled a few notes, so this is kind of a strange stream of consciousness. But um, one of the things was my very first kind of covering a royal visit actually was in 1989, back when Andrew and Sarah were still happy and no one knew at the time, but she was expecting. And they came to Saskatchewan, so I covered that one. And most of them have been here. And one kind of neat story, and it's this weird intersection again, was a young lady from Carlisle. Um, Prince Edward was in Regina. It was one of the gazillions of visits he has done. And Connie Jo was sitting next to him at lunch. I peeked at the place cards before she came in, and I talked to her after. And they were translating, they were talking to him, um, and he said, you know, what do you like to do, young people, in your spare time? And and they said bar hopping, and he was just like, what's that? And then they finally, oh, clubbing, clubbing. So anyway, and um, 2005, it's kind of the second time I've met her, oh, name dropping, but I met the queen at 2005 here in Saskatchewan uh, at the Hotel Sask, and she actually talked for quite a while. She was super, super relaxed. And that's not, she's very professional, but that's not always the case. And they like it here. And she talked about horses for a long, 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 long time. And um, oddly, that visit, this is alarming. And I don't want to mention this guy's name, but we kind of all know him at Canadian, as Canadians, Google Trenton. But that's probably, to my knowledge, the closest I've been to a serial killer. Because her pilot, her Canadian pilot, was that bad colonel. Anyway, um, from, yeah. Mm. But um, one neat thing that visit, and this is another kind of cliched Saskatchewan thing, was Brett Butt. In Saskatoon, they had a big, big sort of gala. And Joni Mitchell performed and all these fabulous kind of Saskatchewan performers. But... Um, Brett, but we, after they would kind of parade them in front of us so we could ask them stuff. And I thought, well, what would I ask? So I just thought, I said, like, what would people in Dog River say to, Saskat to the Queen, you know, kind of on behalf of Saskatchewan? And he kind of thought, and he said, and I can't do it, of course I can't. But he said something about, well, you know, we're really proud of you for getting your head on the money and everything, but don't let your head get too big. Uh, <laughs> and that was kind of that. But now um, it's kind of, there are protocols here I have to learn. And when I first came here and 
I actually had to Google tonight, when is the banjo bowl? I've had days going to work where I've looked around and it's that twilight zone moment when I'm walking to work in Carlisle and I just think, I'm not wearing green, oh, oh, it's game day. And, and, and people have been super nice because I was a total nerd growing up in high school. So um, people are very nice. And, and I mean that when I come to their quad rallies or I have to ask, what's a side-by-side or, you know, things like that. And I've done curling and it's been a great, great thing. So I kind of talk about it as getting my Sasky stripes. I was saying, oh, I've earned another badge. I've got my Sasky stripes. So tonight, Kevin, I, I'm looking for my badge in the mail. So thank you all. And I'm going to get off this stage. Thank you. Thank you. That's, that's right, it's me again. Okay. Being that we're kind of on this whole soul-bearing thing and whatnot, um, I'm up here to advocate being different, about being, being different in school, about being a nerd, about getting involved in drama, getting involved in music, and, and just you know being different, don't be the same as everyone else kind of thing. And the reason why I'm going for this is... Um, I moved to Manor in 1972 from Latman, and it's, it's hard fitting into a small town when you don't know everybody, but I gradually I got in there, and there was this one, there were this one nice lady who came to teach there, and her name was Diane Tweetmeyer, and she's sitting over there. Anyways, where I'm going with this story is, Diane is a very artistic person, as people in this area should know, and she started doing... She was teaching grade two and three, I believe it was. And by this time, I was in, high, I was in the high school, and we started doing drama. And Diane and also Marion Byram, who taught kindergarten, had nothing to do with the high school, but they were good enough to step forward and take on a bunch of crazy, rangy kids from small town that the only thing we're worried about is, can we get out of school and where is the next case of beer coming from? So we, we made it through high school, we had lots of good times, and we decided to uh, start a drama group after, after high school. So in 1986, we formed Cornerstone Theatre. And there was this other nice uh, lady that's sitting at the table who was new to town, and she decided to come out for one of our plays. And the only part that we had left over is she had to play a man. And she ended up playing the butler. So. Um, we got to know each other, we started doing plays and whatnot, and then we decided to do a, uh, a rendition of The Mousetrap by Agatha Christie. And uh, I had the, my Joan and I, we played a husband and wife, and we weren't married at the time, barely knew each other. So the way the play opens up is my character, being the husband, would come in, and he has a present for his wife, and he has to hide it. And then the wife comes in and kisses, gives her husband a kiss on the cheek. Well, every time that Joan came in and she would kiss me on the cheek, I would completely forget all my lines. <laughs> to make a long story short, we ended up uh, dating, we got married. But the whole reason why I'm going with this is if it wasn't for the whole uh, getting involved in drama in, in school and deciding to uh, not be like everybody else, to do something different, I never would have met my wife. So. The message that I'm trying to convey is, is go out there, be different, um, 
shout from the rooftops that yes, that you want to be different, that you want to be a musician, you want to be an artist, you want to be this, you want to be that. Just don't be afraid to do go out and try things because you never know how it ends up. Thank you. I hope you're enjoying this episode. Did you know that all episodes of Sascapes can be downloaded or streamed for free? You can find us in the iTunes Store, on Stitcher Radio, and at iHeartCulture.ca. And I'm so excited to announce that Sascapes now has its own app for both Apple and Android devices. Head over to the App Store or Google Play and have Sascapes at your fingertips with just one easy tap. Remember, we love hearing from you with your feedback in the review section. And now, back to the podcast. You guys have been so overwhelmingly honest and um, talking from your heart that I would be a fraud if I didn't tell you the story that I really wanted to tell you, although I did want to tell you that other one. Um... I mentioned that I was bullied through pretty much all of high school, and by bullied, I mean bullied. I mean to the point where I couldn't go to my high school graduation because my life was threatened. I had to be escorted to the bus in the morning. I often, the kids would hold me down and the bus would leave without me, and the teachers wouldn't intervene, and sometimes I would have to walk home, which was about five miles in the wintertime, because they would forbid me to get on the bus. So that was pretty much my life for most of my schooling years, except for one. In grade four, I had a teacher who I'll call Miss K. And Miss K instantly took a liking to me for some reason. And it was the only year out of all of my schooling that I felt really, really safe. She held me in the highest regard. She always put me at the front of the class to lead in song. She made me the editor of our first paper. She, we, we raised money and took a trip to Truro, Nova Scotia by train. And on the way back, she had everybody count the amount of money that they had left over based on what they brought with them. I think maybe I brought $4 with me. It was a long time ago. Uh, $4 was a lot of money. And I had the most amount of money left, which really means I'm cheap. But she introduced the word frugal to us all and had me stand up on the train on our way home and said, Kevin is what we call frugal because he has managed to not spend all of his money. I'll never forget that. And Nelson did something very radical. She put all of our desks in a circle and you did not do that in the, high, in the school that I went to. You kept your desks in a row. That's the way it was done. That's the way it was always done. And... Um, she put it in a circle so that we could all see each other. And every day she read us a chapter from C.S. Lewis's The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, which to this day, The Chronicles of Narnia remain my most favorite book series of all time. And I attribute that to her. Uh, in fact, I wanted to write a letter to C.S. Lewis, and I was devastated when I found out he was dead. 
Um, so that year with Miss Kelson was the only year that I felt safe. And at the time, I didn't really know why that why she looked out for me so much. So I went through school and. Before I even knew what the word was, the kids were already pegging me as gay. And that's likely why they beat the crap out of me. And then I spent about 25 years as a Bible-thumping, born-again Christian, because that's a really good place to hide when you're gay. And so that was a large part of my life. And then I started doing Phantom, and one year I was on uh, break, and I had the chance for about 10 days off, and I flew home to Nova Scotia. And I wanted to go back to the school, which was now abandoned, and I walked around the schoolyard, a thing I would never have been able to do on my own as a kid. And I just sort of recaptured my childhood and thought, nobody's going to beat you up anymore now. And then I thought, hey, I wonder if Miss, Miss K still lives in my town. So I went to the local post office, and they said, yeah, she lives just down the road. And I couldn't believe it. So I walked down to her house, and I knocked on the door. And she came to the door, and I said, do you know who I am? And she looked, and she said, I do. You're Kevin Power. And I said, my God, how would you know? And she said, I just knew. She said, come in. So she invited me in for tea. And I took her by the hand and I said, I want you to know that if you ever wondered whether you made a difference to anybody's life, please know that you were the difference between me surviving my school years, knowing that I had that one year and not. So thank you so much for that. And just as I finished saying that, her front door opened and in walked a woman. And she said, Kevin, I'd like you to meet my partner, Vicky. And in that moment, I got it. I got why she looked after me. And she said, I knew. I knew then. And I knew that you were going to be a special kid that really needed to be protected. And so for that year, I made sure that you were. So we reunited, and it was wonderful. And a year later, I got a letter, uh, a phone call from her saying that she and Vicky were coming to Montreal, and I happened to be performing. Um, we had moved Phantom to Montreal for a while. And she was my guest at, she and Vicky were my guests at Phantom. They sat right under the chandelier, the most expensive seats in the house. And then I brought her backstage, and everybody in the cast knew this story. I brought her backstage and she stood on stage while the entire cast came out and gave her a huge round of applause. Never in a million years would I thought when I was in grade four that, that things would come full circle and Miss Kay would be back in my life standing on the stage with me at the Phantom of the Opera. That's that story. Hello, I'm uh, Damon Badger Height. I thought I should come introduce myself. I work with Kevin here at SAS Culture. I'm one of the consultants there and I have the pleasure of being able to work with folks like Kevin and other people that travel the province here uh, to engage with communities and do some great things. 
And uh, it's, it's, Kevin invited me to come out today, so I couldn't get off the hook without uh, coming to sit up and talk a little bit. <laughs> I came up with my family here today. I brought my kids and my wife, and we're trying to have a, a good evening on the way up, but lots of kids screaming and yelling. I can hear my hairline receding with every kilometer that we got here, so I feel a little, feel a little gray right now, but uh, we made it <laughs> so far. <laughs> um, no, I, was, I was having a fairly good day today. It was a bit hard this week. I had a buddy that's going through a really hard time. Uh, it's a National Suicide Prevention Week or Awareness Week, or I forget the actual name of it, but it's uh, someone I'm quite concerned about today. Uh, he lost his job, he lost his fiance, and he lost his kids all this week. And last I heard, he's on a bender full of coke and booze and all kinds of stuff. Eh? So it's, came today with a bit of a heavy heart, thinking about I should be somewhere else, you know, but I don't know where he is. So I was just thinking about all the friends I have who've gone through hard times and hopefully come out the other end being bullied or whatever, you know. I'm glad you're here, Kevin. You know, and I know you went through some hard times too, and that's, uh, everybody does, and they turn it around and make the best of it, so that's all I can hope for my friend there. But uh, I was thinking about him and his kids, all the other dads I know, and that's been central to my life as being a parent. Even though they make you crazy and stuff, it's, uh, you know, at, at the same time, it keeps you sane at the, on, the, on the flip side of that. Uh, I grew up, you know, at the age of 10, I lost my dad, and I didn't have a father figure again until I was about 18. But uh, that's probably something that was very important for me. Now I have Nala here. We uh, are fostering her as of December and got my own kid Jasper there. And uh, I was just looking at them last night, you know, they're sleeping, and I like to squish their faces together, you know. <laughs> So I was doing that over and over, like let them stroke their face real nice and then I'll squish their face together, make them have a funny face. <laughs> and I was just thinking, man, I'm just so lucky to be able to sit there and do that for an evening, you know, and such beautiful girls and it just makes my heart sad, you know, when I think of dads who can't enjoy those times because they're preoccupied with things that are affecting them, you know, and uh, trying to find a way to be healthy for your kids, you know, isn't always easy. To be, to be uh, held together, you know, and all the things that go on in people's lives. So I was just thinking about that today, and that was kind of bringing me down on the drive up, but all the kids screaming, and I'm like, man, I wish I could just run away right now. I was thinking sometimes, and stop the car and just run off into the prairie here, but I won't get too far. <laughs> but, uh, you know, those, those, those moments are passing, you know, they're just, they just come and go. But... Um, yeah, that's, that's, what, that's what was on my mind coming out here today. I was just thinking about my buddy and thinking about other buddies I've had and hearing that all the way up here. You know. <laughs> and then I got a speeding ticket because I was really trying to get here about a kilometer away from here. So I almost made it. So still worth the trip. I had a good meal. Got to hear some good stories and got to participate. So thank you all for having me and my little story. And I think someone needs me, so I will see you later. Okay, hello. Okay, hello. 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 Everyone's getting really uh, deep here tonight. That's awesome. Thanks for that. Um, hi, my name's Joel. 
I'm sitting here with my wife and some friends and uh, looking around the room and everyone's talking about acceptance and, uh, you know, spreading their wings and uh, being, uh, being different. Um, and I definitely uh, feel what everyone's saying. So we were doing these conversation cards and uh, Christine just pulled one that said, who's the most unusual member of your family? And I've always been that guy. Um, we, uh, we moved to a small town from a big town when I was about 11 years old. And uh, when, you, when you're fairly confident of who you are at 11 years old, and then all of a sudden that all gets wiped away from you, um, you, uh, you begin searching for who you are. And I searched for a lot of years and trying to fit in. I played sports and uh, did everything that all the cool kids did. Um, which meant uh, uh, eventually getting pretty hard into booze and drugs and and uh, basically just tr trying to find every everything or do everything that everyone else did. And then you get into a high, and the highs are always good, um, and, um, but the lows always follow. And uh, for a long time, I, I just hated the fact that... Uh, the booze and the drugs and stuff that wasn't that wasn't the way so I decided to get sober about four and a half years ago but uh it that that course of action really took place about eight years ago when I was just tired of what my life was and searching and uh, I decided I needed to make a change and so I started looking to go to school or or what I was going to do and I got an invite out to Victoria um and I said okay if I'm going to do this then I'm, I'm, that's where I'm going to find myself, my true self, and uh, and uh, really, really, uh, yeah, become find my happiness. And so uh, I moved out to Victoria, and the first place, uh, the first person that uh, greeted me was actually the person sitting here today. Um, he's down here visiting me from Victoria with his lovely girlfriend, Christine. Welcome, guys. And. Uh, I kicked him out of his bedroom. Um, I made him sleep on his on the couch because the person that he was living with was a family friend. He said, "Get out here," but he was the first person to welcome me to uh, to Victoria, and and right away I've never felt so accepted um, in a place, and it, it was pretty beautiful. And I always said if I was going to move back here, um, I was going to make sure I, I brought back some of that acceptance. And luckily, I met my uh, my wife while I was out there. And uh, I conned her into moving back to Saskatchewan from Victoria, but uh, I think we've been doing pretty good um, since we've been been here. Um, I met my wife uh, in Victoria, and I told our engagement story the other day to uh, Greg and Christine, and I thought it was a. I, I love the story. It's about a, a little sea otter. Um, we did a lot of hiking, and uh, I found I found out that I love hiking. Um, I love I love the outdoors, and uh, that that's who I am. I'm I'm an outdoors kind of guy, and I'm very personable, and I like to talk. Um, but uh, we went on a hike, and I fell in love with the hike. And up on up on uh, we climb up on this hill, and you overlook the ocean, and um, it's very uh, serene, and. Uh, and, and I always said, if, if I ever ask this woman to marry me, this is where I want to do it. So, so a little while later, I got the, the courage to, uh, to do that and the financial means to uh, buy a ring. And uh, we went for this hike. And on the hike, we climb up on top of the hill. 
And there's like a family of seven up there, and I was, I was so mad. It's just like, this stupid family. They don't get to be a part of this. Like, who are they like, ruining my day? But then I'm also in like just pure panic. Like, what do I do? Like, how do I propose now? Like, that was, that was the game plan. It's over. No, I had no plan B. No plan B. No, of course not. It was all going to work out like life does. And so we start walking down the hill, and I've kind of got my head hung. Like, what do I do with this ring? Like, she's going to find it in my jeans or something later. So she has her camera out, and so I'm like, okay, well, I'll put it in the... I'll put it in her camera bag, and that way when she goes to put her camera back, she'll find the ring, and I'll go, yeah, why not? Um, and uh, I was like, okay, yeah, that's, that's plan B, I guess. Maybe we'll call it plan C and come up with a plan B. And, and uh, as we're walking, so she's snapping pics, and all of a sudden there's, there's two sea otters playing down in the ocean, just uh, yeah, down there, and they're playing, and sea otters are cute, so you stare at them for a bit, and they, they make you giggle. And uh, she, she stops, and so she's snapping pics, and I, I never stop moving. Um, sitting here is really hard. Um, and so I'm also next, you know, I'm about 50 yards away from her out on a little peninsula, and I, I see her attention's taken away from the sea otters, and now the camera's on me. And I go, oh, isn't this cool? She can document our engagement. So I reach back into the, into the camera bag and I pull, out, I pull out the ring and I hold it out there and she's snapping pictures and, and then she's zooming in and snapping another picture and I'm just standing there goofy like, figure it out. And all of a sudden she zooms in far enough and uh, then looks at the camera, digital cameras are cool, and she, uh, she looks at it and then looks at me and then looks back at the camera and then looks back at me and goes, really? <laughs> yes, get down here. Really? Yes, come here. Uh-uh. Come here. Uh-uh. Please, come here. So then she came, and I got down on a knee, and uh, she said yes. And so um, I ended up finishing up school, and... Uh, Oh, no, I was done school at that point. Yeah, so we had moved to Saskatchewan, and, and like I said, if I was going to move back to Saskatchewan because I was lost for so long, um, I was going to bring some of that acceptance and um, someone that kind of completes me. And so I, I, I got my wife to Saskatchewan, and uh, I'm just so blessed to have a place like this um, to come to because every time I come here, I taste the food, and I taste the love and the warmth. And uh, I got to thank people like Katie, um, who, uh, who, who helps give that to me. I got to thank guys like Will in the back, who I think have been doing this for a long time now, past b before you were here too. And uh, it's just such a, a nice welcoming place where I get to just be myself and uh, um, be kind of proud of being that unusual member. So um, thank you for letting me get up here. A little nervous, a little shaky, but uh, I got through it. Cool. Hey, you guys, just because it looks like people are starting to rap, it's okay if the bourbon didn't prompt another story. If it did, the mic stays on for a little bit. But just before you all start to vacate, 
thank you so much. I woke up at 2 o'clock in the morning the other morning panicking. I had that fear that you have, you know, when you have a birthday party and you're afraid that nobody's going to show up. And I was terrified that nobody was going to come. And I was terrified that nobody was going to say anything. And you've given me enough content, but the content you've given me has far exceeded my expectations. Thank you for being so honest and so open. I would not have expected that that was going to happen. I think it's a testament to this place. When I first walked in here, I realized that this was a really special place. And you guys confirmed that for me tonight. Um, again, thank you to Katie for a brilliant menu and for that serving staff for just being so delightful for the entire night. What you've done here is just magic. This is Saskatchewan's best kept, well, I can't really say secret anymore because I don't think it is. The only thing now is to get here if you haven't. Thank you all so much, Sask Culture. Thanks you for being so forthright and participating. Yay. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening. The Sascapes podcast is created and hosted by Kevin Power for Sask Culture. Funding to the cultural sector is provided through the Saskatchewan Lottery's Trust Fund for Sport, Culture, and Recreation. For more information, visit iheartculture.ca and sasculture.ca. Music for Sascapes is provided by Saskatchewan-born singer-songwriter Jeffrey Straker. There's no end to the stories to be told. So, until next time... <laughs> <laughs>